So if you have your Bible's electronic devices, you can click to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're back in this series, Happiness is a Serious Problem. And so if you've been tracking with this, you know this comes out of the Beatitudes. It comes out of the Sermon on the Mount. It was, a famous, it was the most famous sermon that Jesus had ever, ever, ever preached. And so the title of this message uh, doesn't even seem like, I mean, it seems like these two things conflict, right? It says happiness through a broken heart. And it doesn't even seem like to the world that these two things correlate, that you could actually find happiness through difficulty or happiness through a broken heart. And listen, I know when you look at the statistics right now and the things that are going on in our world, uh, they would tell you just out of statistics that like the happy meter is like pegged all the way. I mean, it is, it, I mean it, it's in, the happiness meter is in trouble. And maybe it's because of all the instability in the U.S. or the conflict, the anxiety, it seems like every day we wake up to another shooting, whether it's in a school or a hospital or a stabbing or some act of violence or some act of anger. There's political uncertainty. There's inflation. There's the, the rising of gas prices, and there's everything that's going on. And it seems like even in these times, what even makes it more difficult is people are more isolated than ever before. And people are unwilling to come back into community. More people are watching. Fact is, more people watch this service online than attend this service in person. To where people are like unwilling to come back into community for, for whatever reason. But, it, but statistics would tell you when you're isolated, your happiness meter will, will, will not peg in a, in a good direction. And so you can ask yourself the question, why does happiness even matter, Right? I mean, why, why does happiness even matter? Well, when you look at the Bible, you realize happiness was like a major theme in the Bible. This issue of joy and rejoicing and happiness, it, it's a theme that goes all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And then you get to this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, which is like Jesus' first sermon. It was like the most important sermon that he ever preached. And it was a major theme in the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are, happy are, content are. And you realize that it's an important and it, it's important also because it's a core principle of the kingdom of God. And we can have the kingdom of God. We can bring the kingdom of God down on earth, what Scripture tells us. And it's a core, it's a core thing of, of that. And so we've talked about this issue of being happy, that, that you have to be aggressively happy. In other words, that unhappiness takes no effort. Unhappiness takes no work at all. I mean, you can isolate, you can do, you just have to do nothing. But when you look at this issue of happiness, and the statistics show that happiness is hard work. Happiness takes time. And so there's a, a PhD, she's a theologian. Uh, her name, she came out with a book, is, it's kind of funny. She wrote on happiness, and her first name is Joy. And so Joy Marie Clarkston, and she wrote this book, Aggressively Happy. And so that term is not mine, it's hers. And so she has defined out a biblical definition of happiness, and I'm just going to read it and watch this. It says, happiness is a, is a result of trained attention of God's presence and the belief that there is goodness and love still happening. In other words, it's this belief of you're going to experience, you're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living the goodness of the Lord in the life that you're living. Now listen, you and I can go through seasons where it's harder to find, right? If we're honest. We can go through seasons where it's just easy. I mean, it's like, it's like in full bloom and you just walk and you see it and it's easy to pick. There's other times that it, it's kind of hard. But when you look at this real life, you, when you look at this issue of happiness, you realize that if you're going to be happy, then you have to be aggressively happy and sometimes more aggressive than others depending on your, sis, your season. Happiness. 
just theologically, is when we are attentive to what God is doing in our presence, to when we're grateful, to when we're thankful, to when we're able to, like, call it out. In other words, it's our job. What Scripture says, it's our job to stay connected to God because God's Word says He helps us with the tough stuff in life, and life is tough, and life isn't easy. And listen, when I wrote this sermon, I am walking... I am coming at this, not in theory, and I've told you this, right? But as a practitioner, I am in this with you. I am in, there are some days in my life I have to be more aggressively happy just to try to see where the goodness of the Lord is, just to see what he is doing. Because in life, life can be hurtful, and life can be painful, and there can be loss, and there can be pain, and there can be disappointments, and there can be sorrow. And nothing is perfect in this life, and this life is full of losses and defeats and disappointments. And we can go through trials, and we can go through tribulations, and we can go through sufferings and sorrows, and there's pressures in this life. And so the question is, how do you, how do you deal with this life? And how do you deal with the sorrows of this life? And Matthew chapter 5, verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn. Which sounds crazy. Happy are those. Blessed are those who mourn. For what? For they will be comforted. And really, when you read this, it just seems irrational. To be blessed is to, to mourn. And the Bible says there's good grief and there's bad grief. Not all grief is helpful. Our world does not know how to grieve. Our culture, let me say it that way, our culture does not know how to grieve. And there's good grief and there's bad grief. Good grief brings you closer to God. Bad grief makes you cynical, angry, bitter, and moves you farther away from him. Good grief, or you may want to say godly grief, gradually helps us to, guess what, to put our life back together after hurt and pain and grief and some of those other things. Good grief enables us to come to the place to experience the comfort and the love of God. Bad grief blinds us to the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living and what God is doing. I mean, when you look at this word, I mean, it's an interesting word, but blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted or comfort. When you look at the word comfort, it, if you go back, like etymology, if you, study the, if you study the word and you go back to the Latin meaning of comfort, it means to give strength. It means to strengthen what he's saying is, blessed are those who mourn, who happy are those who mourn. Why? Because they will be strengthened. They will, they will be encouraged. They will give, be given strength to. Now listen, I, it is really important to me that we keep this sermon real because you can take a text like this and you can hurt people who are going through sorrow, who are going through loss, and you just use platitudes and some Christian things and some of these other things. So it's important to me to keep it real. And so you know we've been in this season of goodness of the Lord and the land of the living, and that's been our verse, uh, Psalm 27, 13, and 14. And so we've had church members willing to give goodness of the Lord and the land of the living testimonies, and we have one tonight because it's important that we just keep this real. And so her name, in case you don't, don't know her, is Dana Charles. Dana Charles uh, has been in our church 10 or 15 years, her and her dad, Leon Harwood, and, and her family's here. And so she went through a difficult season of life and then she recorded for us her goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So watch the side screens as you listen to Dana talk about this. You know, the, the goodness of the Lord, I think, is not always right in front of your face unless you choose to look at it. So um, I initially came to 
Christ when I was 16 years old. I attended youth group and was saved when I was a, a young teenager. But my testimony, I don't believe, really starts when I was 16. It actually starts um, a little bit further into it. So I thought that I had an untouchable marriage. Um, and in 2015, my, my marriage fell apart. Um, and so here I was with these two young children and a marriage that was certainly not heading in the right direction. In 2019, there was something that was going around that we were, I think, unfamiliar with as, as a population called coronavirus. Um, at this time, my father and I were presented with an opportunity to travel to Israel with Charlie and the church. It was absolutely the most transforming experience that I think both he and I ever had. We saw some of the most amazing things um, and we're so thankful for the ability to be able to have gone. A couple of weeks later we returned and my father began to experience some symptoms of what we did not know at the time but was actually COVID. Um, he went to get tested and in fact did test positive for COVID-19. Um, it was something that I just sort of poo-pooed away. It's not any big deal. Dad, you're going to be fine. People survive this. Um, you're going to do great. Progressively, though, my father um, did not do great. He would call me every day with an update of what his symptoms were. And it got to the point where he was unable to breathe. He sent me a text one evening about 4.30 and said, I'm dying, but I don't want to die here. Please, please let me die at home. And my father passed away 24 hours later at home, surrounded with people that, that he loved. When my dad was, was passing away that morning, about 7.30, I said to him, Dad, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior? And do you know, do you know that you know that you know that when you pass over where you are going? And I will never forget my father looked at me and said, I know and I am not afraid. I am not afraid. And my father passed away at 9 o'clock that morning. And it was the most peaceful experience I had ever had in my life. You know, the, the goodness of the Lord, I think, is not always right in front of your face unless you choose to look at it. There was no possible way that we could have gotten him his final wishes without the help of, of others. And I believe that God works in community. God works through the power that he has given to other people. Um, there is, is grace in these experiences. There is grace if you can humble yourself and reach out and ask God to get you through 
that moment, that next step. But he is there. He is there in the valleys. He is there in the ugly cry. And I remember so many days, so many Sundays, when I was going through the divorce, just going down to the front of the church and just praying. And I had absolutely nothing left to get me through that next week. And having the women of our church lay hands on me and pray over me. And it was those relationships, it was this community that allowed restoration of, of my soul. I think it is, although challenging to say, when we are in those ugly cries and those ugly moments, that that is when there is such power that comes from Christ. And it is reaching out our hand humbly to say, I can't do this alone. God is, is with us through all of these experiences. And if you look, and sometimes you do have to look, there is blessing upon blessing that is happening even in the most ugly of circumstances. God has worked absolute miracles in my life. And whether you believe it or not, God can absolutely do miracles in your life as well. Yeah, you can clap. <clears throat> it's important for me to, for you to hear her story. Leon Harwood was her dad. He's a really good friend of mine. And, and uh, I had the honor of doing his, his funeral uh, through COVID, which, you know, with all the COVID li limitations and some of those things. And, and um, I just, I just want to talk to you in the moments that I have, because what's interesting to me is I didn't hear Dana's testimony and she didn't read anything of my sermon. And then many of her principles uh, come right out of scripture, just right out of scripture. And happiness is learning in life. And, and I'm learning this with you. Happiness is learning in life sometimes just to, be grieve, just to grieve the life that you've been given. Because sometimes it's about our expectations, and we have expectations that life is, is going to turn out a certain way. And then when it doesn't, what do you do? And then when you realize, you know what, this isn't the life I expected I had. This is a life that I have been given. Then boldness is when you and I come to the place is when aggressively happy when you and I come to the place and we're willing to say yes to the life I've been given and said, this is a life I've been given. I'm going to be realistic about it and I'm going to say yes to that. And then I'm going to work to find the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I'm going to be grateful and I'm going to be thankful. See, really tonight, this message is really a message about, about how to find happiness in a broken world, how to have, find bro, bro, happiness in difficulty. And when you look at this, you realize that you're not supposed to be happy all of the time. Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he said this. He said there's different seasons, right? Here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 3, 4. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh and a time to mourn, and there's a time to dance. So life is a series of seasons. And there is a time to weep, and there is a time to mourn, and there is a time to laugh. And guess what? Sometimes laughter is inappropriate when someone's going through mourning and when someone's going through difficulty. But Jesus taught us that we couldn't stay there, right? That we had to grieve that. We had to process through that. Proverbs 17, 22 out of the Old Testament said, 
A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. And God blesses us when we mourn. And God blesses us when we grieve. And God blesses us when we've come to that place that we're realistic about the life we've been given and we're willing to say yes and just trust him. And just trust him. And so when when you look at this, you realize that a lot of people, when they hear grief, they think, oh, grief is for funerals. And grief is for, for like death. But grief is for a loss of any kind. Whether you lose your health, whether you lose your job, whether you lose a marriage, whether you lose a loved one, whether you lose your money, whether you lose your reputation, whether you lose a friend, whether you lose a dream, or you come to the place and you realize this is the life that I have been given and it wasn't what I expected. And what the scripture tells us is the only appropriate response to loss in life is to not fake it, but to, real, but to face it. And to be realistic enough about the hurt and the pain, in the midst of that, you say yes and trust him. Disappointment is something good that did not happen in your life. Psalm 32.3 says, When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. And when you and I don't grieve, and when we don't grieve properly, then what happens is we, we push our pain down. And we ignore our pain. And then we become stuck emotionally, right? Here's what I've learned. When I take my pain and I don't admit it and I fake it, my stomach keeps score. My, my emotional health keeps score. And what the scripture is telling us, when, when we keep silent, because see, let me, let me just tell you, groaning, groaning is like a bad form of grief. Groaning is not grieving. Groaning is like moaning. Groaning is, groaning is like throwing a pity party and woe is me, but it's never productive and groaning is never, um, groaning is never productive. Fact is, it's unproductive. Psalm 39, 2 says, I was speechless and quiet. I kept silent, even from speaking good, and my pain intensified. A lot of times when we're pushed into bad grief is to when we get to the place, we can't even speak of anything good. We can't even recognize any of the good stuff that is going around us or going in culture or going anywhere. And so grief is a choice, and grief is a healthy choice. And that's why Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, when Jesus said, just blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now listen, in the, in the, in the minutes that, that, I, that I have with you, I have, I have, I have three things. Three, three, I can count. I just had two. I, I can count three. Three things for you about what is, what is, what is, what is good gr- grief, what good grief does for us. And um, I may need to ask for some grace and, and just have some, maybe some rollover min- minutes. I didn't preach all of my minutes last time I, I was here. And so hopefully we have some grace and we practice rollover minutes and so I may need like four extra minutes and so, so here we go. So here's the first one about what, what good grief does for us. The first one is this, it brings me closer to God. Bad grief takes you farther away from him. It makes you cynical, it makes you angry, you can, it, it blinds you to the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. You can no longer be thankful for anything, grateful for anything. You cannot see that anything good is happening around you. But good grief, listen, good grief, when you and I are willing to admit it and process through it, it can bring us closer to him. A bad, listen, a bad concept of grief is this, just get over it. Really? 
There are some things in life that are so hurtful, so painful, you and I will never get over. I mean, we're, we're not like computers, right? We're not like computers. We're not like machines. Like we don't have a delete button to where we just delete that video, we delete that file, and we never see it again. It never comes up again. We, we, we never have to deal with it again, right? We're not computers and we're not machines, and so good grief is not getting over it, but good grief is learning to get through it. Good grief is learning to process through it. You don't get over it. You don't get under it. You don't get around it. You have to listen. You have to learn to get through it. There are some things that you can go through that you and I will remember the rest of our life, right? We will remember the rest of our life, and that's why Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, I'm hoping you'll memorize this before the end of tonight. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That is, that is a promise. That is a promise from Jesus to us. Psalm 34, 18, one of my favorites says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those in crushed spirit. If you're here tonight and you say, I have a broken heart, or I have a crushed spirit, then I can tell you, based on his word, he is near to you, whether you recognize him or not, whether you sense him, he is there or not. Because listen, let me just tell you, your feelings will lie to you. There are times that God can be near to you, but your feelings are telling you he's a million miles away from you. Your feelings can be telling you that he doesn't care about what you're going through. But I'm telling you, in those moments, you cannot trust your feelings. I mean, based on his word, he says he is with you. Hebrews 13, 5, look at this. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Say, say yes to the life you have been given. You know... The deepest definition of contentment in Scripture is simply this. I don't need another thing to be happy. I don't need another situation. I don't need another possession. I don't need another vacation. I don't need another thing. Contentment is this. I don't need another thing to be happy. Look at this. Isaiah 53.3, talking about Jesus, says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man in suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like some people, someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Jesus knows what we go through. In John chapter 11, Jesus experienced loss. And talking about the death of Lazarus, verse 33, when Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews had, had come uh, with her crying, he was deeply moved in, in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked, and Lord, they told him, come and see. And Jesus wept. And Jesus even wept knowing that he was going to resurrect Lazarus in a few minutes. He knew the story was going to end well. But he had compassion. And he was hurting. So, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the, the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying. So now we see that the Jews had bad grief, right? They, they started blaming God. I mean, look at all he's done. Couldn't he, couldn't he take care of this? And Jesus, Jesus loved. Listen, I'm telling you, grieving is, a, grieving is a sign of love. Grieving is not a sign of weakness. Grieving is not a sign that you're unspiritual or you're spiritually immature. Grieving is a sign that you and I love. Someone, something. Friday I did a, I did a funeral uh, for a lady in our church, and, 
and her second or third grade grandson interrupted the whole funeral. It's important to the family that we gave a time for family members or friends just to step up and share a memory. And uh, people were sharing, and all of a sudden this little second or third grader got up. His, her grandson walked up and looked at me and says, I want to share. And he had one statement. My grandmother was a good person. That's the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We have to, listen, we have to be able, we have to be able to recognize that. The second thing that good grief does for us, it brings me closer to a church family. And you heard this in Dana's testimony. We need each other. We need community. I'm I'm concerned. I'm concerned about Christians that focus so much on your individual faith and your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and they ignore community. They ignore that, guess what? We need each other. Yes, it's personal. Yes, it's a personal walk. But at the same time, guess what? We need each other. We need to minister to each other. We need to serve one another. We need to love one another. We need to come alongside of one another when we go through difficulty. God, Listen, God never meant for us to get through this life on our own. And God heals in community, and God answers prayer in community. God ministers in community. You and I were created for relationship. And when you carry a burden yourself, you're carrying a burden that you were never intended to carry alone. The Scripture is clear about that, that we, are, we, we should be willing. Galatians chapter 6, you could look it up towards the end of the, ver- the chapter. I forgot the verse, but I promise it's there. That you're never intended to carry a a, a burden alone. That we are supposed to come along, brothers and sisters, and be willing to carry a burden. And burden in in the Greek simply means this, a load that you cannot carry on your own. That we come in in help. And so God meant for us to grieve in community. God meant for us to grieve with friends and family. You look at this. This is a command to the church and command to Christians. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. He said, let your love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Pursue hospitality is not just serving a meal to someone. It's making them feel comfortable. It's ministering to them. It's building a relationship with them. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. And do not be wise in your own estimation. Listen, these are commands directly to the church. And these are commands directly to brothers and sisters in Christ and what it means to come alongside of each other. That's why 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 5, verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing to where we come alongside of each other. So when you come alongside of each other, what do you do or what do you not do? I mean, how do you come along someone and, 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 and suffer with them and encourage them? And, and so can I, can I give you just a... Three suggestions to like comfort and loss and health or someone's going through a difficult time. And so these are just my three suggestions. And one is this, never minimize someone's pain. 
When you comfort someone, listen more than you speak. You know the biggest communication problem we have, men and women? We don't listen to understand. We listen to reply. We don't truly listen to hear their hurt, their pain, their struggle, what they're going through. We are listening to reply. You ever been around that individual, right? You telling them a story, you know they're not listening because they're waiting for you to tell a, a, take a breath so they can tell you their story. We listen. We don't listen to understand. We listen to reply. Oh, I, here's a verse. Here's what you should do. Without ever just like listening to them. And many times in Christian circles, the platitudes that we use and the Christianese that we use, it brings more hurt than, than, than help. So don't, don't minimize somebody's pain. Don't tell them it's no big deal. Don't tell them that's nothing. They'll get through it. They'll fix it. You'll, don't, don't help. Just sit with them. Help them grieve. Don't tell them things like, well, guess what? God only tests the strong. That's not even in Scripture. God is the one that's strong. God says he'll use us in our weakness, right? He'll strengthen us in our weakness. So we can't tell somebody that. Don't tell some it's God's will that you go through this or God has a plan for you. There may, may be some seeds of truth in that. But you're telling that individual God wants you to suffer. God did this to you. I mean, even if someone goes through something similar to what you've gone through in the past, don't tell them I understand still different. There's different personalities. There's different situations. There's different things going on. Don't ever look at someone and say, hey, don't, don't feel bad. Why do you even feel bad about this? You just need to, you just need to move on. Listen, we don't move on. We, 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 get, we get through it. And then never tell someone, well, at least. At least you'll find another job. At least you'll get another wife. At least you'll get another husband. At least they've lived a really, really long life. At least you're still young and you can start over. At least, at least, at least, at least. Another one is to, don't try to fix it. It's called the ministry of, the ministry of presence. I'll never forget this. Many years ago, when I, when I started out here at Fellowship of the Rockies, we were a church planting team. I wasn't the founding pastor. Dr. Kurt Dodd was. And I was like an associate pastor, which meant I just did, I did anything he didn't want to do. <laughs> That's the truth. And so, uh, and so I did a lot of stuff. And one of my duties was I was youth pastor. We had a young lady in our youth group um, that became a family, her friend, she became a friend of my daughter's and sleepovers at our house, and they would sleep over at her house. And I mean, she was raised in our church. She was raised in our youth group, and we knew her family well. Uh, we, and, and so anyway, and so she graduated high school, went off to college. In college, she died a tragic death. I still remember where I was when I got a call from her mother that she had lost her life. And I knew I was going to have to do the funeral. And I did the funeral. And then we did a graveside, and I made my way back to the church office, and I'm sitting in the church office in, like, shock. And I'm still sitting in my suit, and I'm sitting on my couch, and I'm literally staring at the wall. And then all of a sudden, a pastor that served with us during those days, Pastor Steve Allen, Steve Allen's walking by. 
And Steve Allen walks by, and he just had this, he just had this way. And he just walked by, he sawed me, and gave me the look that Steve Allen would give, and walks in my office, and he sits down next to me on the couch. And I'm... And, and there wasn't a cushion in between us. I mean, he could have sat on the end, but he sat right up against me and vo- too close for me. And Steve didn't say a word. And for 15 or 20 minutes, we stared at the same wall together. May have been one of the most healing things someone had done for me. It's the ministry of presence. Just you showing up is enough. Listen, never rush people through their, their grieving process. There's not a time, listen, there's just not a timetable on grieving. I mean, Ecclesiastes says there's a time to laugh, there's a time to dance, there's a time to mourn, but it doesn't tell how long that time is. And it's different from everybody. And sometimes what I watch in families, that families can get, and friends can get frustrated, like, get over it already. How long are we going to be at this? I'm, I'm done with it. I mean, I'm, I, we've gone through the same. I'm done with it. Listen, everybody processes it. Doesn't, everybody processes at a different level. And so, listen, we show grace to, we show grace to one another. Here's what I'm realizing about the season that, that we're in. It seems like that believers and Christians, the season that we're in, aren't showing more grace to each other. We're showing less grace to each other. Could we just remember we're all fallen? Could we just remember none of us are perfect? Could we just remember that for a second? And that when we walk through this with someone, that we understand, guess what? God, I can trust God with this individual, and God has them on a journey just like he has me on a journey. And so here's the third and the last thing that that good grief brings us. Good grief brings me spiritual growth. I've seen that in my life, and I've I've seen it testimony after testimony after testimony with people in this church that have gone through difficulty. They've gone through crisis. Yes, they had their ugly cry. Yes, they had their meltdowns. Yes, they had their difficult seasons. I am not talking about that, but they process through that. And on the other side, they would say, you know what? I feel closer to God because guess what? I realized that in my worst moment, he was with me. In the deepest valley, he was with me. He didn't leave me. He didn't forsake me. What Hebrews said is right. He did not abandon me, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, for our momentary light of affliction is producing for us an absolute, incomparable, eternal weight of glory. So, we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen, you and I cannot, unfortunately control the pain you go through in life. You cannot, in some respects, control the life that you have been given. But we can control how we respond. Affliction is that pain that you're going through right now. Sickness, sadness, loss, disappointment, hurt. Happiness is the result of a trained attention of God's presence 
in the belief that there's still goodness and there's still love in the land of the living. It's realistic and honest. God, I don't like my circumstances. I don't like the life I've been given. This didn't meet my expectation. But God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to say yes to the life I've been given, and I'm going to find the goodness. I'm going to find the goodness in the land of the living. Many weeks back in Life Journaling, Romans chapter 8, really meant a lot to me, and and it's not going to come up on the screen, but here's what it says. He says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or danger of sword? Listen, let me tell you something. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, whether you caused it or somebody else caused it. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And the things that are seen don't last. The things that are seen are temporary. That's why the scripture says don't focus on those things because those things don't last. It's the things that are unseen. The things that are unseen are the things that last forever. And so that's why we focus on what? We focus on not what is seen because that's temporary. We focus on what is unseen because that lasts. And so you're not taking the things. Listen, so you and I aren't taking the things that we can see with us to heaven. You're not taking your car. You're not taking your home. You're not taking your clothes. You're not taking your career. You're not taking your investments. You're not taking your savings account. You're not taking any of that. But you know what you are taking? You're taking your character, and you're taking you to heaven. And why do we focus on what is seen? Because our comfort is heaven. Studies show that people that thrive in difficult seasons of life understand that their life has purpose and their life has meaning. Because they have a trained attention to the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And as believers, we do not grieve without hope. In fact, that's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. We do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters concerning those who are asleep or who have passed away so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Bad grief, no hope. Doesn't matter what I do. Doesn't matter what I say. Doesn't matter what I pray. Nothing's ever going to get better. Good grief with hope. I can see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm telling you, we need good grief. I've been in all kinds of situations as a pastor. I've done hundreds, literally hundreds of funerals. I served for a period of time as a police chaplain for the Pueblo Police Department is totally volunteer. Hardest thing for me to do. And I never figured it out. Is to do a death notice with police officers to show up to a crime scene or show up to something tragic. And if a chaplain showed up, it was bad stuff. There's loss of life. And I never figured out. Never figured out. 
how to give people hope who had no hope, who didn't know Christ, who didn't know God. We need good grief. We may grieve, but we do not grieve without hope. So we grieve, but we have hope. And we may miss them, but we know we're going to see them again because Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. I just love this part. And grief, grief will be no more. And crying and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. What are the previous things? The things we could see, remember? That's why we don't focus on those things, because they, they pass away. So as believers, either we need comfort or we're willing to give comfort. That's our command. And one last time, Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And maybe you're here tonight, and I'll just ask this one question. Maybe you're in a season that you've been given a, you've realized that this is a life you've been given. Have you grieved it to where you've been able to say yes? And I'm going to find the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?